You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Sluts and Scholars. Thanks for tuning in. Sluts and Scholars is a sex-positive, shame-free educational podcast where we try to help you talk smart and fuck smarter. While we love to give advice and resources, please note that this podcast or any emails from us are not intended to be therapy or a replacement for therapy. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars, where we talk smart and fuck smarter. I'm Nicoletta, and I'm a marriage and family therapist and sexologist. And I'm Simone, a law student who likes to talk about sex with her friend. This week, we are joined by Joan Price, who's an advocate for ageless sexuality. She's the author of four noteworthy books about sex and aging, including the award-winning Naked at Our Age, Talking Out Loud About Senior Sex, and her latest, Sex After Grief, Navigating Your Sexuality After Losing Your Beloved. Joan is known by American and global media as the voice of senior sex. Her award-winning blog has been offering senior sex news, views, and sex toy reviews since 2005. And at age 75, Joan continues to talk out loud about senior sex, partnered or solo. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you. I feel honored that you invited me. We know that you have a new film out with Jessica Drake, <sighs> who we love, um, who was a past guest of ours. I think it's, uh, de- I don't know, is it debuting at Woodhall? Yes, it is debuting at Woodhall. Uh, and then it will be available for sale. And I'm just so excited about it. I never thought I'd do something like that. I mean, I never imagined that I'd do something like that. And it's, uh, it was it was such an incredible experience working with Jessica, who you know her. I mean, you've interviewed her, so you know how smart she is, as well as how beautiful she is. And well, so she kind. is also such a and so kind, such a compassionate person. Mm-hmm. She really cared that everyone on set had a marvelous experience, whether it was someone like me. I wrote the script and I did the narration, but I'd never made a movie before. And the sexy seniors, we had a cast of four, and they were all new to uh, having sex on camera. It was, it was just amazing. The whole crew, I, I can't praise them enough. Wicked pictures, uh, everybody. I know. Well, it's already out, so go watch it. So you said you never thought you'd yeah. do something like that. Do you mean you'd never thought you'd make a movie? You'd never thought you'd make a movie with Jessica Drake? What do you mean by that? Well, all of the above. Um, I'm a writer and a public speaker, and my medium is my words. So I thought, this is what I'll do. I'll keep expanding my topic, of course, talking to new audiences. But it never occurred to me that this should be a film, that it should be an instructional video that also has explicit scenes. This was Jessica's this is Jessica's idea. She conceived it, and she told me that I was the only one she would make this film with. Mm. So, well, yeah, who'd say no to that, right? <laughs> Though I did hesitate for about two years because I didn't know whether my audience would accept it. Mm. I have um, 
Yeah. I mean, an audience of seniors, it doesn't mean that they're all conservative. They're not. They're definitely not, or they wouldn't follow my work. But they um, they haven't had the experience of an explicit film being instructional and having older bodies demonstrating what can be done sexually on camera. They and, and so I just didn't know if they would accept that being a part of how I, I give my message about senior sex and my advice and my tips. But it turns out when I ask them, I ask my newsletter subscribers, suppose we did something like this. Oh, my goodness. They rushed to tell me what they wanted to see in it. There were so many people that said, I learned visually. Um, and some who just said, well, that sounds hot. But there were a, a number of others who said, I learn visually better. I, it's hard for me to read a book and then figure out how to translate that into action. Yeah, let me see what you're talking about. So That's I'm, amazing. I'm, I know. So I'm just, th- and they told me specific things they wanted to see. What things? What things? What do they want to see? They wanted, for example, to see how sex could be really rich and hot and sexy and spicy without penetration, without erections. Yeah. Because that's something that so many people deal with. And we grow up thinking that only penis in vagina, aka PIV sex, is real sex, and that anything else is foreplay. No, foreplay is just an old-fashioned term. That, that and we should change it all. It's all sex. We should not restrict ourselves to just PIV as what happens with real sex. And particularly as we get older, and maybe that's not so comfortable for the vagina or not so possible for the penis, that we need to have other ways that we could really enjoy ourselves and each other sexually that don't require an erection, don't require penetration. So a lot of what you see in this film, and not exactly by design, it just happened that way. Very little of it actually it includes PIV. It just didn't quite happen that way. And I loved that. I mean, we preach that to everyone of all ages, and I'm so glad you're reiterating that in the film. But whether you're an older adult, whether you're a senior adult, like you do not have to limit yourself to penis and vagina sex. But I am super curious, like whether it's been in the movie or in the research that you've done and interviewing people, what's been the most or some of the most creative ways that you've seen people have non-penetrative sex in their older years? It's a matter of figuring out where you enjoy sensation and what kind of sensation you enjoy. There's no one way that works for a whole uh, a whole population, obviously. But where do you like to be touched? How do you like to be touched? What arouses you? Then what gets you to orgasm? Because those aren't the same things necessarily. We, we often need a very long period of arousal and every gender. And it isn't just that the people with vulvas need long arousal. People with penises do also. The older we get, the more arousal time we may need. And that's not a defect. That's a superpower because who, who wouldn't want sex to last through, through this long, languid arousal process. That's beautiful. 
that's been something. Especially that, when you're retired. Yeah, and have the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you don't even have to be retired. You just make time. And I, I don't that's even great. know that many people who who are retired just because it's so difficult in our, our economy to <laughs> have true. a point that's where you say, well, true. I don't need to earn money anymore. I, I don't know yeah. anyone who says that. I mean, I'm 75. I'm nowhere near saying that. But it's a matter of just prioritizing it. Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned um, how to figure out what sensations and uh, techniques bring you to orgasm. But you also mentioned difficulty uh, with erection or having sex without an erection. And I'm curious if there's also, because we very much think that sex is not only, not necessarily goal-oriented, i.e. achieving orgasm, but is more about, as you're talking about, sensation and pleasure. So is there also um, an issue of attaining orgasm with age? Well, or yes. Is that a misconception? It, oh, no, that's not a misconception. Um, unfortunately, that is quite true. That it become, I described it in one of my books that orgasm used to be waves crashing around me. And that at that point in my life that I wrote this book, I was at, I was, I was a youth of 61 at that point. <laughs> I said that it was more like watching the waves through a smudged window. They were so, they seemed so far away and so elusive. I knew they were there, but how was I going to get to them? So that's, a, I don't know if that helps to explain the difference that as we get older, it is not so easy. I mean, for some people, it is. I can't speak for everybody because some people say, um, I have easier orgasms than I ever did before. Hmm. That f fear of pregnancy was preventing me from having orgasms. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Orgasms are merry and frequent. But most of the people that I talk to, it does take a longer time. And it if we don't have anxiety about that, if we don't have goals, as you said, if we're just in there for the enjoyment, orgasm will happen or maybe it won't happen. Um, you know, of course, but I don't know if all your audience knows that uh, a, a person with a penis can have an orgasm without ever having an erection. Oh, that an, yes. a, an erection is not a requirement for orgasm. And or without some, ever ejaculating, yeah. That's exactly. right, that's right. And uh, so so we need to just let go of the things that don't serve us anymore. And I love what you said a few minutes ago about how you teach people of all ages about this. When I speak to young people, and I do that also, I tell them, here are some things I wish I'd known when I was your age about sex and relationships. And they do hang on every word. And part of it is that, is not to be goal-oriented, not to think there's just one kind of sex or that one kind of sex defines whether it is good sex or real sex, that to just get into the pleasure, giving pleasure, receiving pleasure. And, and certainly above all, if you're partnered and you don't have to be partnered to have good sex, but if you're partnered, Learn to talk about it. Learn mm. to talk about what gives you pleasure. Learn to, to uh, ask for what you want. Learn to ask, do you like it this way or would you like something else? Uh, that's so sexy. It doesn't break the mood. It makes the mood. 
I mean, I, I would love to embrace the idea that I could enjoy sex just as much even when the waves crashing are uh, through a smudged mirror. <laughs> where's the Windex? <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, where's the Windex? But I feel like your new book is talking about more tangible grief and loss of a person. But what That's you're right. talking about there sort of sounds like grief and loss of an expectation of how things used to be. And I wonder like how you've dealt with if there has been grief and loss about how your body used to operate and used to be versus like how the pleasure looks now. Well, actually, I like it better now. And that's an odd thing. No one's asked me that question exactly. So thank you very much. For yes. That. Uh, so I get to give a new answer I've never given before. I like it better now because it's more relaxed. When, when sex was hormone gr driven, there was this rush, this rush to, um, particularly, now I'm heterosexual, so my lovers have been men, and the man was always goal-oriented to his orgasm, and I was always hoping I would get to have one too. That was young sex to me. <sighs> and this is so, so like much immature, better. It was immature sex. That was, Yeah. Immature sex and being raised in the 50s sex. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there, there's been so many researchers um, whom I love. Uh, Pepper Schwartz mm -hmm. is one. Um, David Schnarch also has a mm -hmm. book. And they both talk about uh, – Pepper Schwartz has a book called Prime, which I, I'm sure you've read. But for Yes, I have that, uh, yes. David Schnarch has one called Passionate Marriage and, and right. a few others, um, which is a little bit dated, but I love a lot of the stuff he says. But they both argue that – we reach our sexual prime after age like 55. And so that's something that I often teach my young clients when they're frustrated that they're not having good sex is I'm like, sex is learned. And yes. it takes us a while to maybe learn it. And so I wonder, mm. like, why do you think we're having better sex after 50? Well, one thing is that we're not... You said more relaxed. We're, yes, we're not hormone-driven. Because even though we thought we were making the decision to have sex for pleasure. Our bodies were saying, have sex for procreation. We're going to fool you into getting mm -hmm. pregnant, right? <laughs> In many cases. Right. So, I mean, that's older, what our bodies are set up to do before menopause. They want to get us pregnant. But once we don't have that going on, then we have all these other reasons to have sex. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that all young sex is to get pregnant. I mean, there are plenty of People but who we are, haven't escaped evolution yet. But that's exactly it. The bi our biology is still driving us to um, to be be fertile and multiply. And once we're done with that, we can look at it, and our our minds can come into it now and say, "Okay, so if I'm not having sex because I'm hormonally driven to do it, what are the reasons I want to do it? Why am I making the decision to prioritize sex for pleasure, for connection, for intimacy, for self-love, for um, excitement, for joy, for as a sedative before going to sleep or as a, mm -hmm. you know, there are so many wonderful reasons to have, to embrace sex that don't have anything to do with our hormones. And peop and when you're young, you're not aware of the, you're not really aware day to day, the part that your hormones are playing, but they're in there. They're in there trying to do their job. And if we don't have to be concerned with that, it becomes more relaxed 
And we can also, and also we've learned over decades how to talk about sex. We've learned the kind of relationship we want and the kind of relationship we don't want. And if we've continued to grow, not everyone does, but I hope that for people, if we continue to grow, sex can get better and better. You mentioned the importance of talking about sex, and a lot of people, myself included, believe it or not, do sometimes struggle to communicate with our partners about desires, wants, needs, boundaries, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm curious, given that you speak to both young people and older people, that is it harder... So young people can be raised in sex-negative places, but there's all these outlets and communication of sex around them. Do you think it's harder to uh, break free of sex negativity at a younger age if you were raised in a particularly sex-negative place? Or if you're older and learned about, you know, fucking in the 50s, is that harder to break off? We, it's much harder at our age, I think, because we've had decades of an upbringing that uh, was sex negative, and we've internalized that sex negativity. So very often when I talk to audiences, they'll say, oh, I could never dot, 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 whatever it is I'm suggesting to them, because they don't feel sexually empowered. And younger mm. people... What sort of dot, 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 out of curiosity, just to well, see like, for where example, the I, comfort is. I could never tell my partner how I want to be touched. I Mm. I could never um, explain what I needed for orgasm. I could never tell my partner that what they're doing isn't working for me. So how did you find some willing participants to do the Jessica Drake Wicked uh, episode? Because that shit's explicit. Yeah. Oh, well... This, it actually, we are, the people we have were very eager. They were very eager. They were already very sex positive. They were um, open about being sexual. They, um, they were not embarrassed about it and they were not shy about it. They were very eager to support a, a project like this and they were quite, they were really titillated by the idea of being a part of it. That they, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were, yeah, okay, this could be super exciting, and it was for them. You could tell it was. There were a lot of difficulties though in getting the movie cast because people did not come forward at first, and we didn't. We we had people. Um, we really wanted to have a very diverse cast, and we didn't end up with that. Um, and that was mm. something that bothered us, and we really tried, but we didn't end up with that. And I hope that doesn't detract from the way that people receive our film, because um, yeah. they, it's hard to check all those boxes. It, it really is, and when people who are older are thinking, oh no, I maybe, maybe I would if I had a perfect body, if I didn't have wrinkles, if I didn't have a a belly, if I didn't have, you know, that kind of thing that goes on. 
uh, if I had a dependable erection. There are lots of reasons like that. The self-judgment where people said, mm-hmm. I could never, I, I, I wish you luck, but it could never be a part of that. So with the people that you did end up getting um, on set, I'm curious. So you said they're very sex positive, so they obviously know how to pleasure each other. So I'm curious, what was the balance between um, you talking about just communication and using them as examples of, you know, physical acts that they decided to do versus you guiding them to show what you wanted to show your audience? I did not direct them what to do because it needed to be what was really pleasurable for them. It needed to, I mean, the guiding principle was, how do you like to have sex? That was the guiding principle. So you kind of let them lead, lead Absolutely. It and then you were able to like embellish on that and speak. Well, about, what I did. This is why they might do that. And here's a creative way of doing this. I had written a script ahead of time that was giving the tips that would um, guide my audience. And then the people in the scenes, who the people who were doing the scenes um, were sometimes demonstrating those things that I was saying, and sometimes just having a jolly old time on their own. So it has a mix of that. And it's... What sort of tip? What sort of tip? Yeah, we don't want to give it all I'm away. I'm not going to give it all like away, but teaser. it's the same kind just, of... Just t- one or two. <laughs> I know. Um, it's the same kinds of tips that I give in my books about how to I know <laughs> you may I now people <laughs> just one <laughs> you're a good marketer this is you're how I marketer. earn my living honey <laughs> yes so no it isn't Don't that I'm not going to give you some information but but I really hope that people who are interested in this topic will want to learn more than than I can cover in the time of a podcast but the, these are tips about slowing down, about exploring sensation that is not necessarily genitally oriented, at least at first, working up to the genitals or working down to the genitals, as the case may be, but not starting there. And how to, mm. uh, how to talk to each other about arousal and where you check in with where your partner is and what your partner would like to do. And our couples did that so beautifully. Something that you, you don't know yet about our two couples. One couple has known each other for about half a century. They haven't been together all that time. They were together and then they lost track of each other and then they came back together again. And I know it's a wonderful story, which they do tell in the film. And they, uh, so what they show is how a longtime couple can keep sex really hot and sexy. And they are so beautiful. They, uh, they made us hold our breath, everyone on set. And tears were in our eyes sometimes because the way they gazed into each other's eyes and they loved each other and they knew how to gauge the pleasure level. And they asked about it and they were willing to say things like, uh, I can do this position for just a while because it's bothering my back or my knees or whatever it was bothering. And that that was okay. Then the other couple, this was really hot because they had not met until the day of the shoot. 
they had not met because we wanted that too. We wanted people who knew each other well and would show that. And we wanted people who would explore first-time sex with a new partner. That is so smart. Yeah. I mean, not that you need me to validate No, I do. I need you to validate it. I want praise. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We do too. (laughs) Yeah, I love praise. I mean, how how do you think, whether it was those couples who were watching or or yourself or other couples you've talked to, like, how do we reframe and make those conversations sexy? So whether it's about like, oh, my back hurts in this position or I have a colostomy bag, like however, whatever the range, like how do we normalize and make those things? With a sense of humor. If you can, I mean, laughter is really sexy. I don't know if, I'm sure you've had this experience where you're with a lover and you just burst into laughter over something you didn't expect to happen. And then it just gets sexier and sexier because of that laughter. You've had that experience. I once slept over at someone's house for the first time. It, it was a it was a lover, and I slept over at his house for the first time. And in the morning, I was like stretching, and I let out this giant. <laughs> it was like I was like sort of half asleep, and like he was still asleep, and it was just Did like it, wake you both? it was like long and loud, and I just kind of lay there quietly, and I could sense that he was actually awake and heard it, and we were. Next to each other, like, what the fuck do we do? And I just started giggling, and then he started giggling, and then I just started guffawing, and he lost his shit too. And then we made out and had see, (laughs) (laughs) see, you don't even need me because you already know all this stuff. But you see, we're so self conscious that we'll often not allow for laughter. But if you I mean, it took a while to get Yeah, it takes practice. I once had a situation where I had been with this guy in, in my bed, and I got up, and I tripped over the cat and fell down to the floor. And what he saw, what oh he God. saw is one moment he's looking at me getting out of bed, and the next minute I've disappeared. <laughs> That's a good magic trick. And then what happened? Well... Then you have that, sex no, on the floor. At my age, I don't want to have sex on the floor. I'm sorry. Understandable. <laughs> 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 my knees wouldn't take it. My back wouldn't take it. It wouldn't work. But um, as once he saw that I was laughing and not hurt, I mean, he peered down and there's this cat looking up at him saying, who, me? What did I do? <laughs> and Joan on the floor. But it was it was funny. Then it was fine. Uh, and... Whatever go, whatever happens, whatever happens, just try to incorporate it into the fun of being together. Instead of it being, oh, is that a mood wrecker? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Your mood yeah, is not that, that like fragile. Help the mood. Oh, that's a thank great you, quote. Oh, Joan. <laughs> You like that? Mood is not that fragile. I mean, and just to reiterate, we do need... Oh, good. (laughs) Um, I 
I really got caught off guard one time. I actually, I quoted your book because I got hired to do a talk about sex and aging, uh, which already can sometimes be difficult because as a, um, as like a newly licensed professional, I was like, you know, are they going to want to listen to me? Are they going to take me seriously? Um, so we had to like chat about that at at the beginning of the talk. Um, and so there were folks there who like really wanted to learn and wanted to improve their sexuality, but there were a couple of people who were like, why would I want to still be having Mm -hmm. sex? They were like, so glad that like they didn't have to be having sex anymore and they were like i wish my partner would just leave me alone because i don't want to be having sex this is a huge and really awful issue because it would be one thing if both people in the couple said okay we we not don't want to do sex we don't want to have sex anymore that was yeah, and yeah. Fine with but it it's and it never fine. that. It's one person who's done and the other one who says, so what am I supposed to do? I hear this all the time. I get right. emails about this all the time. What do you well, tell them? I tell them they've got to have a conversation. They've got to have a real serious conversation that it may be that the only way to have that conversation is with a, with a therapist, a sex positive therapist or a sex therapist, because they've got to hear each other. And the person who doesn't want to have sex needs to hear the person who does. And if it's definitely this person, it isn't just that the person doesn't want penetration, but the person doesn't want any kind of sexual activity at all, then that that part of the couple has to give the other part of the couple a hall pass to get those needs fulfilled somewhere else because that's just not fair. There's always someone who wants sex more than the other person. Um, I think it's really tough because on one hand, it would be great if folks were able to have these conversations earlier on to maybe talk about like, what's your preferred way, what's your preferred sexual language. But as we know, you know, the beginning of the relationship yeah. is always usually pretty mm-hmm. exciting and there's hormones. And so it's not the necessarily real, real way that like sex and desire works in a long term mm-hmm. relationship. Um, so for me, it's more about teaching them that in a long-term relationship that this can be normal and that now it's going to require work um, and energy to, to get it back. I have a question for both of you is that when this discrepancy happens later on is aside from, you know, preferences wanting and changing and a natural difference in libido, is there also a thing of, we have had sex in a way for so long and it has never been pleasurable for me and I can't see how it will. And now I feel comfortable because we as a society conceive as of older people as sexless, that it's now okay to tap out. And if it's, if that is the case, how that seems like such a challenging conversation to have. I mean, there's a that researcher uh, Peggy mm-hmm. Kleinplatz, um, and she talks about like optimum sexuality. And so what she says is, um, who would want to be having shitty sex? So the reason, you know, she kind of argues that the reason people aren't having sex or there is this discrepancy is because they're not having the kind of sex they want to be having. They're not having optimum sex. Yeah, but but Joan, you you were about to say how sometimes we can ad- like how do you communicate? to your partner and how do you even recognize yourself that the reason you don't want to be making love with your partner of 40, 50 years is that it's, it's actually ended. the sex that doesn't please you as a plate, as opposed to you not 
just plainly not wanting well, sex. That seems so hard yeah. to wrap like one's own mind around and then to explain that. To one's and partner. there's no quick, easy way to do that. I think that's going to be a series of some sessions with a therapist. I don't see any way to quickly get to the root of it because you need to know what's the reason that the one person doesn't want to have sex. Is it because sex is painful? Sex was never satisfying. Sex was never orgasmic. Sex um, um, w was never uh, a priority anyway. Or maybe there are relationship issues that aren't sexual, but everything then reflects on sex or sex reflects on everything else where mm. if I weren't so angry at you, maybe I would want to have sex with you, but I'm angry at you. And there can be something like that. Something that I hear though, and it's more often than, more often than I would have expected is someone will write to me, let's just for the purposes of giving people pronouns, let's say it's, um, it's a man writing to me that his wife will no longer have sex with him. And he says, she never did ha like sex as much as I do, or we never were really that compatible, but I thought it would change. Or even at the beginning, she was reluctant, but I thought it was just her religious upbringing. There were often signs that they weren't really compatible, but in the burst of love and hormones and, and sometimes their responsibility that you're supposed to be with someone, that, that was ignored. And then it got, didn't get better, or maybe they pretended it was better. And then after menopause, very often, um, women will say, well, the heck with all the pretense. I'm not going to pretend about anything. Make your own damn doctor's appointments and leave me alone. And it, it spills over mm. into everything. The, let me, don't make me responsible for you running your life. You do it. And then that's a point where they say, and, and oh, by the way, I'm not interested in sex anymore. Sorry for the interruption, but do you know that moment when you realize you forgot to put deodorant on? Well, let's all take a pause to do the superstar movie move and put our hands under our armpits and then smell them like this. My pits currently smell like native deodorant cucumber mint. I kid you not. My mom convinced me to use native deodorant and now here they are sponsoring this episode and giving discounts. Native is a safe, simple, and effective deodorant made without aluminum, parabens, and talc, aka the stuff that may be linked to some serious health issues. Also, it works and it feels super smooth. I have tried many healthy deodorants, but native lasts during my long days at the office. They smell amazing and also come in unscented and baking soda free options. Check out native to see if it fits for you. They even offer discounts for folks who get monthly deliveries to your door. For 20% off your first purchase, go to nativedeodorant.com and use our promo code S&S in all caps. That's S-A-N-D-S in all caps. For some reason, though, if it's not for you, they even offer free returns and exchanges. So go to nativedeodorant.com and enter our promo code SNS. We hope you enjoy. Now, back to the episode. Hmm. Do you think that this issue of maybe the whole time they weren't compatible? I mean, I know we have this idea of like compatibility and obviously or some that if we're good enough, people will change for us. Right. That too. But, but do you think, do you think that 
there is a question, of course, of, you know, compatibility that just doesn't exist. But is there also um, that compatibility can be? Well, yes, it certainly can be. And for people in my generation where we were brought up in such a sex negative space don't talk that, about it. yeah, right, we don't talk yeah. about it. We good girls don't kind of thing. And so, yeah, um, now that's right. Now, I was thing. brought up that way and look at me now. So, yes, we can change. <laughs> we can change a lot, but we, we need to be open-minded. We need to be able to, and, and I say, I say to my audiences when they say, well, for example, I, I won't use sex toys. I was ne I never brought up to use sex toys. I always brought up to think that's wrong. So, well, how many other things were you brought up to believe that you got rid of because they don't serve you anymore? I mean, for heaven's sakes, we lived through the 60s. Sure, we were raised in the 50s, but we lived through the 60s and some things happened. <laughs> A few things happened. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hello. So what, what did you get rid of that doesn't serve you anymore? And can you look at whether this, this, um, this belief you have now still serves you? Where did you get it? What made you believe this? How do we convince people that it's worth it to, to um, put in that effort? Because, uh, I mean, great sex over time does take work and energy. So how do we, how do you, do you feel like you have to convince people that, like, the extra creativity and energy that it does take to sort of change this mindset? And change well, I'll tell you, the it? people who would think it's not worth it are not people I get to meet. Because these are people who are reading my books or following my blog or showing up at my workshops, and, and they want, it, want to be it to be better. Or one of the partners does, if they don't both. But usually they both do. They both want it to be better. Mm -hmm. There is a huge segment of the population that I will never meet because they don't want anything to do with me and my work and my beliefs. So I can only work mm -hmm. with the people who want to work with me. But there are enough of them that that'll keep me busy. There's just one more question I have about this because we talk to a lot of people um, in the kink mm -hmm. community on our podcast. And I'm very curious um, what advice or experience you have with older folks realizing that they have a, a kink that they would really, really like to explore and perhaps they're not partnered. Um, how... Do you, do you think that going about exploring that is any different? Oh, I, I love that question because there are a couple of, couple of things I'd want to cover about that. One is yes, yes, and yes to all your questions. But the other thing is that often as we get older, we need more sensation just to feel it. And so people who didn't consider themselves kinky uh, before may discover this works for me now. So there are people getting into more kinky activities that didn't think they would originally. And there are also some who always had those fantasies, but just didn't think they could act on it. And then there are those who've been acting on it all along, and you just don't know that. So there are those really three groups. One thing that they do need yeah. to do, of course, is just so be... To, to educate themselves about the kinky things they want to do because 
they want to make sure that they mm-hmm. don't hurt something in their aging body. You know, if they want to be spanked, well, right. where are the safe places to spank and where aren't? And where are you, if you want to um, be dominated, what are the positions that you'd better avoid? Because they can have some some bad repercussions if you have arthritis or you have knee problems. So this requires a lot of communication and open and education. And exploration. And it's wonderful that sex toy stores are usually yeah. having workshops on all sorts of topics, including kinky topics. And there are books. There are marvelous books on the internet. There are resources available that certainly when I was young, I never would have. I mean, for heaven's sakes, when I was young, I couldn't even find a clitoris in a medical book. Take that. Oh. Wow. Well, now, oh, yes. <laughs> now we have your books, thankfully. Um, I mean, I know there are people out there who do this, obviously, because we, we've had folks with disabilities, mm-hmm. folks with chronic pain. Um, but I know that when I'm feeling sick or in pain or in, like, survival mode, the last thing that I'm wanting or thinking about is sex. And so I wonder, like, for folks who, who are older and maybe have a long-term illness or disability or after cancer, like... How is it that, that sometimes they are, sex? sometimes they're not? Again, education is really important. Right. There are people whose specialties are sexuality after cancer treatment. And that that's part of the education that they need to avail themselves of. There are people who say, look, this is just too much trouble now. It doesn't, I don't get pleasure because I'm not feeling well enough. Okay, then. Are there ways Mm. that if you're partnered, that you can still participate in a partner's pleasure that would bring you pleasure, even if it's not an orgasm, even if it's not sexual excitement? Mm -hmm. Also, there are, yeah, watching watching your partner masturbate or talking about a fantasy. Yes. um, Sex toys. You know, I'm a huge proponent of sex toys. Talk about them all the time. We haven't talked about that much today yet. About sex toys. About sex toys. Oh, well, tell do, do you guide want, us on a sex toy do you journey. Want to talk I about have sex been toys, reviewing sex toys for, from a senior perspective on my blog for about 10 years. I know. Somebody. Amazing. How'd you get the gum? I mean, I don't know why I've asked him. No, go ahead. Well, can I just can I say what you were asking? I think. Um, Simone was going to ask something about, like, how did you get the courage or something to do that? And I was like, but we know so many fucking sex toy reviewers. And it was me and my bias of, like... Of older adults. Of older adults being sexual. I'm so mad at myself. But uh, don't get... Thank you for calling me out. (laughs) No, but don't get mad. I think it's it's something we all have to address. I think not just anti... Not just that we sometimes view older adults as not sexual. Um, well, I guess this fits into that, but it's either like, oh, it's gross. I don't want to see that. Or we um, mm-hmm. infantilize older mm-hmm. adults. Like, yeah. oh, they're so adorable. They're so cute. Or like they're so conservative baby. and prim and proper. And, yeah, I, I don't mind being adorable, but let's not limit me to that. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. And like well, sex. the thing <laughs> is that there are some wonderful sex toy reviewers and they're young. That's, that's fine. I read them. I enjoy reading mm-hmm. them. I learn a lot from them. 
But there are certain aspects of using sex toys that are different as we age. So when I say I review sex toys from a senior perspective, well, for example, it needs to be ergonomic enough to be used with arthritic wrists, especially when we need a longer period of arousal. Mm -hmm. So imagine holding something that is sending the vibrations into your crooked wrist um, for 20 minutes. That can be extremely painful. That's not sexy. So it needs to be ergonomic in that sense. Also, many uh, uh, people with vaginas like penetration with sex toys, but only with a slim one. Because otherwise it's too uncomfortable. We have more fragile mm-hmm. tissues and it's just not easy. So uh, mm-hmm. it, are there slim versions of penetrative toys? We need body safe toys. Everybody needs body safe toys. But especially when we get older with the thinning tissues, it's very easy to create minute lesions and leach whatever chemicals are in the toys or in mm-hmm. the lube into our bloodstream. And we have to be really careful that we're using really safe products. And many people don't know anything about that. Because as the, as the skin ages, That's right. it becomes yeah. less elastic. And thinner, especially if we're not on estrogen supplement. Then there's also... Oh, let me give a couple more. We want to be able to use the controls with lubed fingers because we need lubricant and without, thank you, putting on our reading glasses. If you go to my blog, which right now my newly resigned web, newly redesigned website is all integrated. So my blog, rather than being separate as it was, is now part of it. So people can go to joanprice.com, see my blog, see my books, and so on. But if you go to my blog, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a whole That's right. And you can read my reviews. And I link only to retailers that I have vetted that are interested in our sexual health as well as and sexual pleasure, not just sales ones that really support my work. Isn't that nice? See? Something we haven't talked about. I mean, we've talked about loss of, um, loss of erection, loss of elasticity in the body. Um, but something that you've had a real personal connection to recently Mm -hmm. is the loss of your lover, the loss of a person and having to maybe rediscover sexuality again as a, as a solo person. Um, I would love to share what that's been like for you. I mean, you, you, yes, my newest book, which is just out is called sex after grief, navigating your sexuality after losing your beloved. And it's exactly that it's what do you do about yourself Mm -hmm. as a sexual being when your beloved has died? Um, there is that may seem like a very limited scope, but it's huge because there's nothing about that. You can mm. pick up two dozen grief books and you won't find sex mentioned except for maybe an admonition don't do anything you might regret later. Because we don't make good decisions what? when we're on widow brain. Wow. There is nothing that just treats sexuality as a healthy and important part of us 
and then looks at, so what is that going to be for us from now on? How do we know when we're ready to, to be with a new partner? What do we do in the meantime? What if we want lots of sex with lots of people because that makes, that relieves the, the grief? Or maybe we've never had that experience before. We've been with one person mm. for 58 years. Now what do I want to do? There's how do we date yeah. at this age? How do we, and, and I also have a section in this book about how to date a griever for people who are not grieving, who want to date us, what you need to know in mm. order to date us. The reason I wrote this book, I, well, I'll tell you, I couldn't have written it at first. I lost my great love. Robert, who was the reason that I got into writing about senior sex and the reason that I wrote all my other books it was really because oh, of my wow. relationship with him and how I learned what was possible about sex and aging by being with a man that I met when I was 57 when he was 64. And we were together for seven incredible years until he died of cancer. That was in 2008. It wasn't. Oh, that doesn't sound it, long It enough. wasn't long enough. But I've learned from other grievers, it's never long enough. When you love someone, it's never long enough. So I lost him in 2008. Oh. And I thought, I didn't think I would write about that. I, I wrote little bits about it. And I wrote in my journal. I wrote for myself. But it was so... Oh, so dark, so deep, so shattering. I'm going to cry talking to you, but that's okay. That's all right. Um, it is. That's okay. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm tearful. Yeah. At a certain point, and that was just a year ago as we were recording this, I felt I need to share my journey because my grief journey, by then I'd had more than 10 years of it. And I had learned some things, not just about grief, but about, about how to become sexual, how what works, what might work or not work, and how you know what you try, what you how not to judge yourself if you try and it doesn't work, or you um, think you're ready and then you find out you're not. How do you just how do you go from being good? in the darkest place of your life, the darkest place in your soul, to being able to mm -hmm. emerge and have laughter again and have orgasms again. And, you know, it's all a part of being human and being resilient. But how do you do that? So that's what this book is about. How did you know when you were ready? An editor asked me if there was anything that I hadn't written about yet that I was the right person to write about? That's sort of a convoluted question, but I understood it very well. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> actually, yes, there is. And that is how to, how to become sexual after losing your, the love of your life. I mean, whether it's the love of your life or just another close person, I think... It seems like a thing for a lot of people after they have a big loss. Well, that's true. A lot sexual. don't, and some do right away. It's a, one of the things that I... 
-hmm. yeah, I guess maybe some look for it to feel something and others are like, I can't even... And some need to be connected to someone right away and others can't imagine being connected to someone. Mm. So what I did was I combined my grief journey, which had many different steps along the way. I tried all sorts of different things to make it work. And well, um, like first, one of the things I tried was reuniting with an old lover, with someone who I'd been with decades and decades ago. Hmm. I hadn't seen him for years. He'd moved away and he was, we were going to be in the same town. And I thought, oh, this is the way I'll get back. This is the way I'll do it because I know him and I trust him and I feel comfortable with him. And this isn't not going to be anything other than this one night we're in the same town together again. And I couldn't go through with it. I couldn't do it. I just, I met up with him. Yes, I met up with him him? and we were even in bed together. And then I just couldn't. I said, Mm. I just can't. I, I, um, oh dear. I kept thinking of Robert and that I couldn't, I just couldn't move past that, that he wasn't Mm. Robert. And he said the most wonderful thing you could imagine someone saying in that situation. He said, tell me about Robert. Yeah. That's really supportive. I mean, I think it takes a sense of maturity, whether that's old, older age or whatever, but to, to ask somebody that to support them because not a lot of folks would feel vulnerable and comfortable to ask about another yeah. lover when you're in bed mm-hmm. with someone you want to have sex with. Because I'd even told him, I thought this was going to work. I brought the Do condoms. Find- I selected my underwear with care. And he laughed yeah. at that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's very sexy. What underwear were you wearing? <laughs> it's very pretty underwear. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. But that happens all the time, though, right? I mean, whatever it is, like, we can have the, like, yes. no pun intended, like, the best laid plans, and then sometimes, like, a trauma comes up or something happens, and you just get pulled out of it, and sometimes you want to go back into it, and sometimes you don't. I mean, I, I wonder, like, this may be a, I don't know if you feel comfortable answering this question, but I know for myself, I, I haven't... Um, lost a partner to to death, but I mean, obviously, whether it's a breakup or a different kind of loss, um, you know, there have been times yeah. where I'll fantasize about past experiences with someone, and I wonder, since this was the love of your life and you had some great sex, yes, is is he someone you? Can oh yes. Well, about, it was painful at first. Painful? The first few years, it was where I would um, grab my magic wand and fantasize mm-hmm. about Robert and it would it would work in quotes, but then afterwards I'd always be in tears. That didn't mean it wasn't worth doing. That just was the process. That was what mm-hmm. happened. But mm-hmm. I um, did, then part yeah, of yeah. my journey was later connecting with a friend with benefits and that was wonderful. And so part of what I'm, teaching in this book. And I don't just include my own journey, but I have, um, oh, how many? A few dozen other grievers who sent in their stories. So it's not just about me because we all grieve differently and we all come back to sex differently. So Mm -hmm. I have many different examples. 
But what did eventually work for me was a friend with benefits, um, and that was really beautiful and helped get me over the hump, so to speak. And now I'm actually in a very wonderful relationship with um, with someone I call my date mate. <laughs> we don't live together. We don't plan to live together, but we really enjoy each other. And we're both widowed. And for me, that's a big plus. He can talk about his wife. I can talk about Robert. And there's no, there's no jealousy. There's no worry about, there's no anxiety about that. Mm -hmm. We can laugh about stories about our, our beloveds. We can cry about it. And it, that's, that's really good. I once thought that as a widow, I could only date mm -hmm. someone else who was widowed. And I came to not believe that because that narrowed the dating pool just too much. But I still think that's first choice. Mm, interesting. One of the, and we're so sadly running out of time, but one of the things I'm wondering about is how, if this happens, how do people who are widowed, is there an element of fear of betrayal and feeling that it's it's disloyal to your deceased lover to begin a relationship. Yeah, that is part of what that is part of it. That? That's the um, the survivor guilt and the uh, feeling that I I promise to be with this one person till death do us part. Well, death did you part, unfortunately. And I say in the book that um, you are not dishonoring your beloved by finding joy again, that if anything, your beloved would want that for you. And I also encourage people who have not yet lost their, who are with their, a lover, with a partner, to talk about that now, to give each other permission now so that that guilt doesn't have to set in. But isn't oh, that an important conversation to have? <laughs> so much. If I die first, I want yes, joy for you. Yes. I want you to live fully. I want you to be, be loved and to yeah. love because there's so much love in you. I don't want you to pack that away. If we can say that to our lovers now, how freeing that will be should this come to pass. That's so true. I mean, I feel like it's a thing that we say to, mm -hmm. to anyone who's lost someone, you know, they would want this for yeah. you, but to really believe that at to a To have proof level, of that. Is, is so much uh, more valuable. I wonder if it's hard to say. I mean, I can imagine being comfortable saying with that, but I wonder if people face difficulty with saying, like, if I die before you do... I am okay with you. Because I feel like some well, people yeah, want them to very, not to like possess. The best time to... Too, so just the talking about it. You're right. And the best time to talk about it is when neither of you is ill. If you wait until someone is dying, that's an mm -hmm. almost impossible conversation to have. It's not impossible, but it's, it's very difficult. But if you do it while you're both healthy... And someone and the, your partner may say, oh, no, no, don't talk about that. I say, look, unless we are lucky enough to be killed in the same automobile accident when we're 95 years old, one of us will die before the other. So let's just talk about this now. Yeah. And that's kind of the case for everything. Let's just talk about this now is kind of what you're saying. Oh.
Wow, Joan, thank you so very much for joining this. This was a really edifying and honestly inspirational conversation. And I'm, I've never really thought about planning my sex life long term. Oh, that's the sweetest way to say it. Thank you so much for, for talking with us about this. Um, we, we definitely want people to watch the Jessica Drake Wicked Guide to, to Senior Sex. We want people to check out your blog. Um, what's the best way for folks to, to follow If you, you go to joanprice.com, my website, you'll see a link to subscribe to my newsletter. And that's where you'll get all the news. I send it about monthly, sometimes twice a month, usually once a month. So you're not, you don't get it in your inbox every day. It's rare. But when it comes, it has lots of senior sex news and views. And if I'm up to anything, I'll tell you about it then so you don't have to chase me all over the the Internet. That's really the easiest way. Well, we definitely want people to to buy and subscribe to your stuff. And so I don't want to give any of that away. But if you could... I don't know, give us one parting thought of what has been most helpful for hmm. you in what you've learned in this work that you're doing. What do you think has been it's most helpful It's never for you too late sex? to rediscover what sex means to you and how it can be the most joyful for you. Let go of your preconceptions. Let go mm. of what's worked Amazing. for you all along that maybe isn't working so well anymore. And go on a journey of exploration to see what is best for you now. What brings you joy? What lets you receive pleasure and give pleasure? And talk about it. Mm. That's amazing. And I think it, yeah, and that supports the, yes. you know, our, our desires and our fantasies change over time and so that rediscovery that's my job and i love it as always dear listeners if you want to stay up to date with everything that we're doing you can find us on instagram at sluts and scholars on twitter at sluts scholars and if you really want to support us bringing you this podcast every week you can join us on patreon.com slash sluts and scholars and please 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 wherever you're listening to us leave us a rate and a review thank you thank you